0: everyone my name is Brandon Burns welcome back to a very special episode of Finding Peaks uh, again Brandon Burns Chief Executive Officer of Peaks Recovery Centers for all the folks out there grab your popcorn grab your soda because we're about to have another excellent show here at Finding Peaks uh, we just recently did an episode with uh Kevin Frenciotti
1: again two for nailed two. it
0: nailed it I don't have to do I don't think I have to do the bio this time but uh excited for him to be with me kind of in the co-host chair today uh joined by Scott Beanenfeld, Beanenfeld, Dr. Scott Beanenfeld. in that regard. Thanks again. Man, that is, that is going to be challenging me for the rest of the time. We know each other. <laughs> Dr. B is good with me as well, too. Uh, and again, uh, or not again. And also, we have uh, Dr. Uh, Dana Lerman as well, too, joining us on the show. And uh, Joe Schrank, as I understand his last name in that regard. Uh, journalist, writer, very creative, very thoughtful. Opinionated is what I'm learning about him as well, too, and I love it, welcome to the sco- uh, show, Joe. And in that regard, I kinda just wanna let you guys, starting with uh, you, Dr. B, uh, describing kind of, you know, what those titles and letters mean and where you're joining us from.
2: Sure, so MD stands for shaman, no, just kidding. Um, it's medical <laughs> doctor, uh, although nice. that, would be, that would be awesome. I, I'm, not, I'm not minimizing that at all, that would be amazing. Um, Uh, So Dr. Lehrman and I are both physicians. Uh, Joe Schrank is a social worker. Kevin, licensed uh, addiction counselor, correct? Right? Okay. And uh, so Dr. Lehrman and I are the co-founders, co-owners, co-medical directors of Skylight Psychedelics. Um, And we are a company that is medically based, and we really do two main things. Um, We prescribe ketamine, um, which is a dissociative anesthetic, um, psychedelic, medication it's not a classic psychedelic we're going to lump it in there today i think or maybe we'll parse out um, to treat all sorts of um, mental health disorders and addiction Uh, depression ptsd severe anxiety addictive disorders all sorts of things and so we prescribe that nationally to patients and clients to be used in their therapist's office and we also train therapists uh nationwide to be able to implement this modality in their offices um And Dr. Lerman and I joined forces um, many months ago, and we've been um, kind of, you know, spreading the gospel about this. And one of the big uh, attractions turns out to be forward-thinking addiction centers, (laughs) you know, that want to try to implement this. The research is starting to come out, um, and it's clear that uh, medications like ketamine and other psychedelics um, can really be helpful for this. So thanks for having us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate that introduction and, and and Joe, you want to give a little bit of to the viewers out there where you're coming from and how you're joining us today?
3: Yeah, I'm Joe Schrank. I'm a social worker by training. I'm also a journalist. I founded uh, TheFix.com, which is now defunct. Long story. Um, but, you know, I always thought media never really gets this particular issue of addiction recovery drug use drug policy they never really get it right so that's why we did that <clears throat> i've worked with dr b for many years in a bunch of different capacities and crisis management and that kind of thing like getting people to treatment and then following them and maintaining their care um and i'm a beautiful. very big proponent of expanding the tent of recovery
0: beautiful well, appreciate everybody's introduction insights. Excited to have everybody on here. Let's get wild with it. You know, in, in regards to uh, ketamine-assisted therapy, you know, uh, starting with any of the docs on the screen here, you know, uh, what led you to this? Uh, as, and I, I know uh, both of you have different backgrounds and training experiences from that MD level. Um, but you know, how did you guys come together? How did Skylike psychedelics uh, come to be in that regard?
4: Yeah, that's a great story. I like this story. Um, So I actually am a board-certified internal medicine and infectious disease. And I was a COVID doctor on the front lines of coronavirus. And um, during the pandemic, I had my own COVID consulting company, The COVID Consultants, and we were selling tests nationwide and doing business risk mitigation, helping companies stay open. And through that process, I received a medical license in in all 50 states. Also through that process, I was severely uh, burnt out and suffering from my own own personal struggles as a human being and then add in a pandemic and um, I was in trouble. So I actually found myself in the middle of the pandemic and an ayahuasca retreat in Costa Rica And really, since coming back from that experience, I have completely changed gears and went into the field of psychedelic medicine. I did a year-long training course in psychedelic-assisted therapy. And um, I was realizing that it's the Wild West out there with ketamine. And ketamine, now you can go online and order a prescription sent right to your doorstep, and no one's monitoring you, and you're just having these big experiences by yourself and so i realized that it was important to really loop in people's therapists into this uh, treatment modality so i decided that i was going to look for a partner and my sister is a social worker and she mentioned scott and scott he's already said but he is a, pretty impressive background of being trained in psychiatry addiction psychiatry forensic psychiatry um and you know has really been in the ketamine space for several years so i had one phone call with scott and by the end of the phone call we <laughs> this was maybe not even an hour-long phone call but after at the end of that hour um we were partners and have been really moving forward with Uh, launching Skylight Psychedelics, which has been pretty successful to date so far, getting ketamine in an affordable way to people and getting their therapists trained also in an affordable way. And it's been really um, the most rewarding thing that I've ever done in my entire career as a physician, because as an infectious disease provider, you have this bag of tools and it has a lot of different, really strong medicines, but not medicines that access people's root traumas and that's what ketamine does and so people debate all the time whether or not ketamine is a classic psychedelic uh to me it is and psychedelic the word really means mind manifesting and ketamine definitely does that so um that's really the backstory of how skylight psychedelics was formed and and what we're doing and how i got here (laughs)
0: Yeah, no, beautiful. Uh, you know, Dr. B, because I'm still trying to get into my brain here of how to fully pronounce that name, So I'm going to stick with Dr. B, because that, that feels great. Uh, do you want to add a little bit of insights into that from your own journey up until, you know, kind of, um, you know, arriving at Skylike Psychedelics?
2: Yeah, a- absolutely. Um, right, my, my initial hat coming out of residency in psychiatry was forensic psychiatry. I started my career working in the prison system. I used to work at Sing Sing running a unit of um, the most severely mentally ill inmates coming back to the community. And we were working on ways to prevent them from coming back to get incarcerated again. And, you know, wouldn't you know the number one reason people go back to jail is substance abuse, even if they have severe mental illness. Right. And so I got kind of very interested in addiction medicine that way, got board certified in it and I've been working in it for over 20 years. And I've worked with Joe Shrank for a long time who actually probably taught me more, about the addiction space and any textbook. So thank you, Joe, about like the realities of kind of what it's like out there in the world, not just in a doctor's office. About, um, I don't know, maybe like six or seven years ago, I was tapped by an anesthesiologist who was working with ketamine in downtown Manhattan um, using IV ketamine primarily and intramuscular and telling me, listen, you know, all my patients get off their antidepressants. I use it to treat pain. I'm looking for a psychiatrist. Do you want to check this out? Ketamine started popping up in the psychiatric literature really around the year 2000, but it got really hot like kind of the mid-2000s, so I remember reading all these papers thinking, wow, ketamine treating depression and PTSD, that's really cool, but I'll never do that because I'm a psychiatrist in my office in Upper West Side of Manhattan. Um, so long story short, I wound up kind of going down there, and I never looked, I brought a bunch of my patients down there and watched this. and. You know, the next thing I know, I was working in a surge center doing intravenous ketamine sessions with patients, like tons of them. And I wound up treating a lot of people with substance abuse disorders because people with addiction almost always suffer from severe underlying mental health issues. Maybe it's trauma, mood disorders, anxiety, bipolar disorder, whatever the case may be. And I, it was very scary at first because I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to treat these patients with a potentially addictive substance that we've now come to understand ketamine actually is really not an addictive substance. Um, There are people who abuse it for sure, but by and large ketamine puts the brakes on addiction more than anything else. And I saw how effectively and how rapidly it was treating these underlying mental health disorders and getting people better, getting people to return to function like really quickly, like when they matter of days to weeks and every case is different, but I was really blown away and I got very deep into um, working with this medication um, and then, you know, COVID happened and everything kind of got separated and I wound up just kind of working on my own in my practice, you know, with a nurse practitioner and we would do the IV ketamine sessions. I still do it, um, you know, and then Dr. Lamb and, you know, Dana found me and, and we kind of connected that way. But uh, so that's kind of my journey through it and I found <coughs> that, you know, taught, kind of to Dana's point. Um, you know, uh, treating addiction, Joe can speak to this better than anybody. Um, so much of it, it's really difficult. It's a really hard profession being an addiction medicine doctor. Because people, it's a constantly relapsing, Mm -hmm. remitting disease. There's a lot of stigma attached to it. There's so much controversy between should you do 12 steps, should you not? Are there underlying medical problems? Is it a biological disease? Is it spiritual? I mean, all of these things, you know, you don't have these discussions about mm-hmm. asthma, right, <laughs> or like, um, or strep throat, right? right I mean, it's, you give the penicillin and it's done. Um, and so uh, it's, so it's been amazing, but it's not easy. And and ketamine is like one of these tools in the toolbox that really is, is a game changer here. Um, you know in terms of treating a lot of different things and and again everything's case by case nothing's a panacea perfect for everybody for every situation but um it's been a really interesting journey so far for sure
0: love it appreciate all those insights and then you know from from your perspective joe and i i, I would i suppose i missed an opportunity to share this with you on the front end uh, you know, but one of our vision here at uh, Peaks Recovery Centers, as an inpatient um, dual diagnosis facility here in Colorado, is to disrupt an industry through quality of care. And I'm recognizing more and more that disruption is is really challenging, and that's what entices me so much about. Uh, these medications, the other plant-based medicines that are uh, within Proposition 122 here on the ballot here in the state of Colorado. And, you know, you seem like a disruptor in that regard, Joe. And so I want to bring you into the fold in that way and, um, you know, just share with us your passion around, you know, that concept of expanding recovery journeys.
3: Well, um, yeah, I guess you could say disruptor. I'm not sure that's what most people would say. They might say something else, but, um, you know, they can have their feelings about it. Look, I was always, and I, I, I've i taken certain things to heart uh, in educational settings. One of them being, you know, Jesuit high school men for others. Like, I, I thought they were serious. I thought they meant that. And so that's, you know, I mean, part of the reason I became a social worker, social work is really, very different than the accepted paradigm of what recovery is and i think that that's been one of the conflicts that i've had um over the years because you know in social work you meet the client where the client exists you outline their particular options and support their decision even if you don't dis, even if you disagree with their decision you, know, you don't quit on people you don't say things like you're not ready and come back when we when you know you have no teeth you know keep using Keep using meth, just keep smoking meth. you know, there's so it's it's always been very much a conflict. I'm a recovering person myself. I, I go to AA. I'm an AA dude. I responded well to it. Um, I responded well to it as a young guy. Um, It's been good for me over the years, but I'm not an evangelical about anything, you know, and I'm not an evangelical about recovery. I think that one of the big problems that we have in recovery is no one seems to be able to agree upon what success is. Um, So in other words, people who have extinguished their use of potentially life-threatening drugs in a recreational setting, to me, that's like, that's a triumph but that might include that they still use cannabis. Um, And I don't have any sort of moralistic problems with that, but the rehab industrial complex does. And they hang their hat on the recidivism. The profit margin is in failure, like the diet industry. So it's a really big problem when you wanna stand up at recovery conferences and say these things. (laughs) But I mean that's fine. that's okay. I don't. I don't really have any negative um, associations with what people think about me per se. But my personal view is that the definitional authority of recovery lies with the individual. That people get to say what is their recovery. If their recovery is harm reduction, to me, um, if an IV heroin user says. I'm committing to using only clean needles. That's how far I can go right now. To me, that's their recovery. Um, so when these things became more prevalent with use of uh, psychedelics or plant-based medicines or whatever, the backlash in the current paradigm is that's not recovery. And my response is, maybe it's not your recovery, but you know, recovery is positive change. Recovery is um, improvement. know there's a lot of different ways that we could look at a life from a comprehensive way and determine if somebody is doing better in life and just quickly as an example i had this client who was um kind of old and crusty pretty much just drinking himself to death alone in this big house in la and um the family had no idea what to do. He was inebriated and fell at Christmas and knocked over the baby high chair, you know, all the big family drama. And so they took him to Betty Ford and he walked out. <laughs> he was like, I'm not going to those meetings. Wow. And anyway, so the short <laughs> version of the story is, you know, I had a heart to with him and I just said, look, Bob, well, I like you, but no one else really does. And so you have some choices in life. And one of the choices is that you die alone in this house and your house finds your body after you have some kind of horrible alcoholic death. So we got the scotch bottle away from him and got him a vape pen. His blood pressure dropped. He lost 20 pounds. He agreed to uh, move into a, a condo and have help. Uh, we taught him the miracle of Uber um, instead of driving. <laughs> And all I heard from the <laughs> AA people is, he's not sober. I'm like, no shit, man. He, he loves that vape pen. He's not sober. Yeah. You're right. What well, that? You got me. You got me there. Mm-hmm. But so I think that trying to say, is our 78-year-old friend Bob in recovery? Uh, yeah, I think he is. Does he benefit from his use of cannabis without question? Does he benefit from extinguishing his use of alcohol without question? And so, so expanding the idea of what recovery is is really critical because we've been doing the same thing for decades and it goes nowhere. The death rate is is, is higher than ever. The overdose rate is higher than ever. The um, and so why not use these things, especially when they're medicalized? You know, I'm a big proponent of. Of physicians administering medicine, Um, you know that's one of the reasons I like these guys. They are licensed, credential, board-certified physicians. So it's not—I don't know. I think people hear, "Oh, you can use psychedel." I think they hear like San Francisco hippies in Golden (laughs) Gate Park, or that they're going to a rave. You know, (laughs) it's like no, that's not what it is. Maybe it's a branding issue. I don't know. (laughs)
0: yeah well that's what we're doing here today Joe is we're trying to get the brand correct in that regard and I and you know I appreciate all those insights and, and especially around the cannabis recovery journey there I think that's one of those things we're trying to meet in real time as a challenge at you know Peaks recovery centers we're not trying to influence any particular path or adopt or you know state wholeheartedly this is the way we think you should go but um you know if somebody is an iv heroin user and at the end of the day part of their recovery journey means picking up a vape pen of that sorts and continuing forward but they never touch that event at the bit you know uh the iv heroin use again to us i mean i want to couch that with you and likewise as a positive outcome and directional and it really obtains that autonomy that you know kevin and i really got to talk about on just the prior episode to joining this around are so many restrictive measures from the rooms all the way to addiction treatment centers uh you know psychiatrists all that sort of stuff and it seems like the most disruptive thing that we've got to really get right you know moving forward is that sense of autonomy the autonomy aspect is the empowerment and if clean needles is all that's being is taken to be empowerment for the individual I think we start there from a harm reduction model and then when that person is you know finds a new path towards you know their journey through that autonomous lens we're right there as social workers therapists doctors and so forth to nurture that next step in the journey and by removing the coercion in in my experience at least for individuals who come to Peaks it's a there's a difference between you know mom and dad dropping Johnny off you know with the luggage bag and saying deal with it versus like Johnny getting out of the car being like I'm ready to do this right you get two incredibly different outcomes namely when uh you know when somebody is uh not convinced or does not want to be there you know in that regard at the end of the day you spend what is 30 to 45 days kind of outside of the clinical curriculum trying to just get through that sort of you know we'll call it a little t trauma experience in that moment and so I think that's what we get back in a really big way around these plant-based medicines around uh, ketamine interventions and so forth and I just love to hear the reverence uh, certainly from all three of you and kevin on the prior episode about how all of this is working in regards to the medications and so you know through that lens of autonomy you know question back to the docs uh in that regard you know what are you seeing uh from a patient standpoint are you seeing a lot of individuals who came in and said man i've been told to do all of these other things i was fortunate when i did that now i have this you know in front of me and you guys seem open to the direction post this intervention Uh, What are you seeing on behalf of your patient demographic as they walk into your office in that sense?
2: Oh, totally. I think that's absolutely what we see. And, you know, listen, I think that part of it is that, you know, look, addiction, like hardcore addiction is trauma, right? Whether it caused the addiction or it's the addiction itself and everything that happens or the interpersonal relationships, there is so much trauma around this disease you know, it's probably the rule. Um, and one of the things is that I think that when people find their way to psychedelics and find their way to ketamine therapy, whatever it is, um, it really is like kind of a new open pathway. And and a lot of a lot of our patients um, kind of show up uh, as you know, listen, this is this is mine. <laughs> you know, I'm owning this. They're not being coerced into their um, into their treatment. Um, and they're really able to, and, and Dr. Lehrman can really speak to this, you know, these medications, like, they really do get at the root kind of cause of, of what's going on. They might not heal it instantaneously. I and mean, we'd like to believe that it does. But it's certainly, as, as Dr. Lehrman has really kind of talked about a lot, it, it shines the light on it. And maybe that's kind of current things. It might be distant past trauma or whatever. But it's kind of a very open, honest process which can be really hard by the way it's not you know unicorns and rainbows all the time i mean psychedelic treatment is can be intense can also be wonderful it's a lot a lot that goes on um but i think that it's really you know people are kind of coming to it with different philosophies coming in but almost always on the other side of it is people they, they don't ever regret it i mean it's always like wow this is this is really thank god i found this you know and you can see you can right. just google like psychedelics and depression i, I don't tell people to google anything in medicine it's the dumbest thing you can do as a doctor because 50 percent uh, because <laughs> you have cancer and you're done exactly but <laughs> in this realm actually it's like 98 of of the stories are amazing and they're true you know it's like it's pretty crazy mm-hmm. um and so the research is really happening there's organizations that are really supporting it um and we're here you know Not only long for this ride, but we're trying to really spearhead it. One of the things we're trying to do at Skylight Psychedelics is like really have people be able to gain access to this from both the training professional side, the licensed providers, but also the patients. Right? There can be some financial barriers, things like that. We're trying to democratize too and really kind of give people a chance at this.
0: Yeah, totally. Dr. Lerman, any.
4: Can I add something? Yeah. Thank you. I read my mind. Um, yeah, no, this is one of, one of my passions about psychedelics because I feel like this is psychedelic medicine and that um, a lot of people don't understand that the way psychedelics really work, we could talk about all the neurotransmitters and all the neurogenesis and neuroplasticity, but the way that they really work is that they are the ultimate concierge doctor, right? They are the ultimate concierge doctor because they are you. And so when you eat psychedelic medicine or when you take psychedelic medicine you are allowing access to your own inner healing intelligence right this is not stuff that we have been taught in medical school we have not been taught this growing up I mean I teach my kids this now but this is the language language that we've never really heard before right what the hell is an inner healing intelligence Mm -hmm. right you're crazy you're cuckoo but it's an inner healer that every single person has and our society does not, um, unfortunately, get behind the, that idea, right? But psychedelics are, basically, we all have this, uh, I'm sure many people on this call have heard me say this before, but we all have this sack of rocks that we carry around, right? And we're all kind of lugging this sack of rocks around. And some of us have big boulders in there and all different size rocks. and. A lot of times you can go to therapy and throw out a few pebbles, a few bigger rocks, but oftentimes you still have this big sack that you carry around. And the way that I like to look at psychedelics is that they are the key to opening that sack and really allowing you to just take a big look inside and start working through all the things, right? And that's just how they work. Mm -hmm. They allow you access to what is in your luggage, right? And so there's nothing else that does that, right? All these SSRIs, all this conventional Western medicine. I mean, those medicines work 30% of the time for people with depression and, and anxiety and whatnot. I mean, these medicines right, and conventional standard rehab, these things don't work. So, so it's time to actually try something that works. and. You know, what I like to think of Western, Western medicine approaches, listen, sometimes they're helpful for people and it's not always all bad. And I don't try to be an absolutist about it, but it really seems like Western medicines try to keep people in this kind of window of not feeling too great and not feeling too terrible, but you're just in this window and you sweep your shit under a rug and you don't ever look at it and you're just in this space, right? Psychedelics. It's okay to be really happy, and it's okay to be feel something. Like we are not mm-hmm. feeling as a society. Like it is psychedelics allow us to get in touch with our root stuff, look at it, work through it, process it for the first time, and then move through it.
0: Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah,
4: so it's be, I'm that. a big fan because I think it's important to really access. You know, people with addiction. I know Scott says not all people have a trauma or something, I would I would say probably, honestly, if it's not 100%, it's 99.99% of people who have addiction. They got there because of something, right? And they may not even know what it is, but psychedelics will surely show you what, what happened at some point, right? It's not what's wrong with you anymore, it's what happened to you.
2: Yeah, yeah I think one of the most interesting things about the psychedelic realm in medicine that's kind of emerging is that in a lot of ways and no other medication can really do this it is like psychotherapy in a pill in a weird way right like there is like it happens whether you have like a therapist there or not but you definitely want to have somebody there right (laughs) because um it can be pretty funky and that's where you get into this idea called integration right which is where you take all the intense experiences and then you have somebody help you kind of kind of you know work it into your life and understand it and, and contextualize everything um but really there and listen there are plenty of medications prescribed right um look you know psychedelics like psilocybin these things are schedule one they're classified as schedule one drugs right no medical value and addictive right which they're neither right we know we know that they're not um, but there are tons of psychiatric and, and other medications that are much lower schedules, legal, prescribed all the time that are that will kill you in overdose, right? That that are that are dangerous, they're super addictive and psychoactive and everything like that. Um, so I think this field is really, I mean, there there is like a sea change happening here, definitely. For
0: yeah, sure. that, I mean, that's my absolute hope. Uh, you know, that to me, this is this is a conversation about innovation in an industry where, like the medications, thirty percent of the time it works to sit in a group circle and you know communicate you know a clinical curriculum or a medical curriculum in that regard but generally speaking uh and and i've shared this on past podcast episodes here at peaks uh vista research conquer addiction they're the third party uh, addiction treatment center outcomes uh, uh, center that we use for our outcomes at peaks And they've been on the show talking about for the last 30 years, our outcomes have remained flat at 33% or lower. And so this invites in an opportunity to really expand on that, reduce some of the restrictive measures of our industry and uh, insert autonomy uh, that I think is gonna get us a bit further as far as outcomes goes uh, overall, or more of appreciation and more of community awareness around what resources are actually accessible to somebody's wellness at the end of the day. And before I dive into a few more, I, I have tons of questions that are, I'm getting curious about, but I wanna see, uh, Kevin, if you had anything like top of mind that you wanted to throw at the screen here.
1: I mean, yeah, for now, it seems a lot of what we've been talking about is the promising kind of paradigm shift that psychedelics Assisted therapies are representing not only in the inherent quality of the healing potential of psychedelics, but also in the therapeutic mo- model, the theory behind what elicits change, and this idea of the inner healing intelligence that Dr. Lerman spelled out. Um, Joe's uh, encouragement for community support and and Dr. B, um, uh, just just talking about the role of integration therapy, the role of creating a therapeutic container around it, and. As a practitioner, as a, as a counselor working with people, experiencing non-ordinary states and working with them before and after, you know, I love that analogy of the, of the bag of rocks. And, you know, do we want um, a person to be confronted with giant boulders that they've been carrying alone? You know, as a practitioner, I feel like I'm standing over their shoulder with the flashlight kind of help it like oh what should we look at now what is describe that to me how can we uh, assess this together and process it in real time and then implementing behavioral changes on, uh, on the other side so what what joe is talking about is so important to have that community resource that supportive structure because at the end of the day you know we have a couple hours a, a week uh, at best of patient contact time and uh, folks are gonna go back to their existing resources, their families, their communities, their church groups, or spiritual um, peer support networks. And we, we really need to update the paradigm and educate people on how to support this new um, therapeutic model, which is, is, is so important. Uh, so that's, that's kind of what, what I'm operating at right now. And, and Joe, I, I'm kind of interested in, you know, you talk about a big umbrella. And you know, several months ago, we talked about, uh, the, on your podcast, the update around um, acceptance of people using psychedelics as tools for integration in, in recovery settings. And one way or another, there's, there's going to have to be a grappling with this reality that people, for whatever reason, um, whether they're stabilized and secure in their relationship with substances in an abstinence-based model, in a harm reduction model, and yet they're still struggling with other things that they seek healing through with psychedelics. How is the community going to need to grapple around these people to support them in the same way that you've discovered with cannabis?
3: Well, look, I mean, I'm not sure that there is a robust community of people who are supporting cannabis use in the context of recovery. It's growing, certainly in Los Angeles. Um, You know, we've seen more and more of that. I think that community is one of the things that helps all areas of mental health right one one way or another you know the ancient greeks said be not idle be not alone and so in other words do something and do it with somebody so my personal feeling is that all humans deserve to have their tribe and to be safe and comfortable in however that looks they don't deserve um to be lambasted or shamed because they're recovering in a way that's different than the individual who has announced to the world that they're the uh, standard of recovery. So in other words, you know, when a celebrity comes out, then um, Lovato came out and said, she's Cali sober that she uses cannabis massive backlash from people. She's not sober. She's going to relapse. She's going to do this. She's going to do that." I I was like, you know, but how do we know it's not abstinence that leads people to relapse? Because so many people who attempt abstinence return to their previous pattern of self-harming drug use. So maybe abstinence is what's doing it. Um, You know, she's a young woman. She gets to try on hats. She gets to see what's going to be right for her. Uh, So I think it's still it's got a long way to go (laughs) before there are certain systems that I think help Um, cultural acceptance, one of them would be the VA, you know, I think that it's the largest healthcare system in America, it has really robust capacities for research, it has a captive population. I think if the VA started using psychedelic medications, which would help those guys tremendously and was vocal about it and had some kind of continuing care support system, whether it's mutual aid or recreational interactions, whatever it is, that would go a long way. Sports changes the culture, right? Music changes the culture. So those kinds of larger systems that that would embrace alternatives to really what is the Christian right stranglehold on recovery because it's based on this act of redemption that there's nothing there's not a doctor there's not a medicine there's only another recovering person in an act of providence that can help you nothing else can help you and Americans love that they love uh, half of America thinks gay marriage causes hurricanes so you know I don't know how we're going to move past those ideas other than to say um that we're not doing very well with addiction. Like I don't see how, you know, especially in AA, where one of the 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 big tenants is if nothing changes, nothing changes. You know, if you always do what you've always done, you're always gonna get what you've always got. Right? So okay, Crap. if we always only send people to AA, we will have continued growing death rates and a population of people you know the truth of the matter is, is very few people respond to AA um, certainly not n- enough to make it the only thing that's offered to somebody and you know and and I'll stop but let me ask the doctors if you two were oncologists and you were in remission from cancer could you say, well, there are four options. But we only use radiation because I used radiation and that's how my cancer got better. And if you don't do what I did, you're not really improving your cancer. But that's a crazy way to treat any problem, much less a medical problem.
4: Can I jump in with an an analogy here, a medical analogy? So as infectious disease physician, um, we get patients who come in and have bacteria in their bloodstream. And we usually trace it back to a certain source. And sometimes we get patients who come in who have repeated what we call bacteremia, bacteria in the bloodstream. And the reason why they get that is because there's some deep seated infection somewhere in their body that we are not treating with our regular duration of antibiotics. And we need to go and get to the source of the the bacteria in the bloodstream. Okay. I would make the argument that we fail at treating addiction because you don't get to the source of why that person is it, right? That is, and that is the greatest argument for the introduction of psychedelics into the addiction space, right? Because you have, why would anyone think that it's going to go away if you don't get to the root of the stuff, right? The question is, is in therapy sessions and in all these different things that you're doing in rehab, are you actually getting to the source of the issue? Many people don't even know their problem. Many people are dealing with such repressed trauma that happened, and it, it takes so much work to get to that root of that problem, right? And psychedelics, they're like a missile. They oh, right, and, and,
2: and jumping on that analogy, you know, in terms of why it is effective, why ketamine is effective in this regard, is because the deep-seated trauma that people are experiencing, you know, human beings have a reflex to deal with trauma. It's all denial. Right? like We don't want to deal with it. And, and if we start to deal with it, we go into fight or flight mode. Our adrenal glands start pumping. Right? The adrenaline flows and every and people get anxious. It's hard. And that's, that's normal. I mean, that, it's not healthy, um, but dealing with trauma often results in people feeling overwhelmed by emotion. And it's too hard to go there. People get triggered, all sorts of things. One of the things that, and if you ever observe a ketamine session, You'll, you're, you're bound to see this is it, it, it it's called a dissociative anesthetic partially because it dissociates different parts of the brain from each other that normally communicate very tightly and one of those is the frontal part of the brain with the deep emotional parts of the brain right so when people start thinking about their trauma the emotions start just exploding and they can't deal with it right it's like a wave of neurotransmitters panic attacks ensue it's too much it's like nope i'm not i can't go there And what ketamine does by dissociating that, it allows a sort of thinking frontal part of the brain to be separate from that kind of, that emotional, the limbic system, the deep part of the brain that's exerting these feelings. So people can actually like see the traumatic event and and sort of experience it, not even with, with prompting, right? It happens sometimes spontaneously, right? But without that fight or flight, that adrenal gland overload, that prevents it in other in other modalities. And it happens on its own. It's incredible. When I first brought patients down to, to do this treatment, they were talking about traumas and things that happened in their past I never even knew about, um, they never talked about. And it was fascinating to watch people just kind of get to this place of, of frequently expressing acceptance, forgiveness. And it's not amnesia. This is not, it doesn't wipe your slate clean, right? This isn't like we take the trauma, we erase it. It's quite the opposite, as as Dana talks about, shines a light on it, and but but people can sometimes, and I'm not saying like people are cured instantly, and this can be a protracted, long process, and everybody's different, and all traumas are different, and degrees of trauma, and all of that, um, but in many cases, ketamine has the ability to do that, and it's fascinating, and it kind of allows people to kind of like have a process, like kind of get some of the poison out, the emotional poison that's associated with it, and and you know, and I think that's a big part of why we've seen success.
0: Totally. Hey, and, and, and Joe, you, you stole my thunder, man. I'm, I'm so big on like, you know, when I think of disruption of this industry, I think about all the independent philosophies that exist. And I used in the past episode with Kevin, you can, review it with the reviewers in the background on, you know, you walk into a broke you know an emergency room with a broken arm, what would it be like for the physician to be like, hey, I have a new idea about how to heal this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure it's, you know, the bones are mended and all that sort of thing, but I'm not gonna put a cast on, because you know what, I got well without a cast, because I was, you know, in some off country or whatever, and I didn't have access to this, but this is how I, it, it seems so fundamentally absurd to insert philosophies within the general practices of medicine, uh in that in, in the way that we know it and yet we do that within substance use disorders and even at um even if it's a little bit more sutured up not to play on medical words here on the the mental health professional side of things I think they get it a little bit more right it's more wrapped around, well, that's not even entirely true. I guess ultimately what I wanna say, though, is it's interesting in these aspects of behavioral healthcare, behavioral healthcare medicine, clinical interventions, and so forth, we wanna state that it ought to be in this sort of way or use some moral framework or philosophy at the end of the day um, and insist on that as a path. And um, so you stole it from me, Joe. I guess I just wanted to give it back that we're, we're in alignment in that way.
3: It's just one of those things where I don't think that moral posturing has any place in in the care of people who are trying to improve their lives with either emotionally or their mental health or their substance misuse issues. And there is a tremendous amount of moral shame based, you know, it's actually the, the one of the more arrogant things to tell people you're doing it wrong and you could be me, but you, you have to do it like me. Um, you know it's a very strange way to try to align with people uh is to impose that kind of thing on it and i i don't know i've never you know i mean we hear all the time well addictions of disease all right well then why aren't they treated like patients with the standard of care why are they treated like criminals um and why are we browbeating them into some specific way because really what that total abstinence modality is designed to do is to make the people around them feel better Now it's not really designed to help the individual because their that abstinence might be their best play maybe um but it might not the truth of the matter is is i'm not sure that everybody everybody universally should be abstinent from all substance use. But it makes the, the culture like parents want to hear total abstinence and wives and spouses and so on and so forth, because they have been sold that that if drugs are the problem, elimination of drugs is the solution. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe not. I don't you know, it's a very it's a very individual thing. We don't. Um, and that became a really popular thing in the rehab business. You know, i call it the um the sun-dried tomato principle where something becomes wildly popular and you guys might be too young but there was a time when sun-dried tomatoes were on every menu and everything was just like sun-dried tomato and um and the individualized treatment became like the buzzword of the industry and the truth is nobody individualized anything it was all the same repetitive stuff. Nobody had any respect for the individual, for their culture, for their gender, for their gender identification, nothing. It was all just you're a drug addict, and you don't care. And you know, all that same moral stuff. So I think that that is one of also one of my hopes for the psychedelic and plant based community is they are nicer people, I will give them that like, (laughs) you know, I'm a Bay Area guy. And all those guys in Oakland were like, please tax us. We're gonna build a playground. We're gonna put a high school. We're gonna put a computer lab at the high school. Like they just wanted to be accepted. I've never heard of any beer company putting in computer labs at a high school. Right. You know, so I think it's a real opportunity right. for the expansion of community in lots of different ways.
0: Absolutely. Well, I appreciate your uh, fiery passion, uh, Joe. No doubt. Um, we're gonna have coffee after this at some point too. Can't can't wait to to talk more with you about all of this and appreciate your insights in. Uh, you know one of the things you know we did a little a little preview to this episode with the with the docs and kevin and i got on there and i i, I get so excited about the potential of innovation here that i thought this is going to get rid of tms it's going to get rid of the industry you know and all those sort of things and you know the doctors uh, you know hey brandon slow down let's get let's let's get this right size that you know we're not necessarily looking at a panacea here right we're looking at something that gives you you know incredible insights into that uh into that sack of rocks right and now we're looking at it but i love hearing that uh the reverence around this from you know both kevin as a as a licensed addiction counselor here in the state of colorado and certainly uh from the practitioners uh that are physicians in front of us and uh would just love to uh hear more you know about that that side of it that reverence and and why we're thinking about it differently than a panacea
2: Well, nothing's a panacea. I don't think you want one, right? <laughs> I, and look, right. I, you, you, you mentioned TMS. Um, you know, T, Look, this is a really exciting time for psychiatry, actually. I mean, psychiatry should be really embracing this. I mean, there haven't been changes in the psychiatric technology in a long time. And now we have this field that's really called interventional psychiatry, right, where you're actually not just talking to somebody or writing prescriptions, but you're actually doing things. Um, uh, you know, TMS is, is administering, uh, you know, magnetic fields around the brain, and it's fascinating stuff. And now we have, um, you know, injectable medication, uh, both for addiction and, and ketamine, and now plant-based medicine is emerging. I mean, it's a super exciting. So I think we have to have reverence for the idea that the technology in mental health delivery systems is, is kind of getting with the program, it's getting modern. You know um even though i guess psychedelics is 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 that modern i don't know kevin is it i don't think it's modern right it's ancient right yeah. um but we're modernizing the idea that it can that it can help people and, and figuring out exactly how to do that and listen there's some fascinating research going on in this that, you know people are looking at all different ways to administer psychedelic medication in in conventional psychiatry it's commonplace to kind of prescribe multiple antidepressants because they work on different neurotransmitters. makes sense. Somebody's not getting well on, on Prozac and it's not working. Well, you can add Wellbutrin. And it works on a different neurotransmitter system. You know, the same thing can possibly be true in psychedelic medicine. And they might be talking about um, uh, you know combining different agents at the same time for the same reason. And, and it's just fascinating. Um, so, so stay on it for sure.
1: I think that's what makes the Natural Medicine Health Act so exciting right now because we need to have multiple pathways of people to experience this medicine, experience these healing potentials, both in terms of the regulated model uh, that potentially will exist with a psilocybin delivery system. um, And then as we anticipate, uh, MAPS bringing MDMA through the finish line for treatment of PTSD through the FDA. You know, these are going to be medicalized frameworks with specific medicines, but then also acknowledging um, the autonomy of individuals to make informed decisions about uh, what types of medicines they choose to ingest and what they choose to do in terms of leading an intentional life, leading to increased insights into their well-being, their mental health conditions that have been inadequately inadequ- treated by traditional means. Um, and it's just a really exciting time to be here in Colorado and as we're going about to witness Oregon getting started on this model next year, um, I'm looking forward to having multiple pathways of places to steer our patients towards who have been uh, insufficiently treated through one specific way of doing things. Now we have a plethora of doing things. Yeah. And that's- guys are
0: all so well spoken i just feel like i'm babbling at times in in front of this room of giants uh you know and and one of the things that i know i want to be cautious of our time here and and just create kind of an open heart open-minded kind of question for the viewers out there but you know one of the sensitivities that's arising and, and we're getting better at our ketamine protocols and this sort of thing but we generally kind of turned it as a treatment program towards like mental health primary patients it's not true in all considerations but one of the things we've noticed in the background you know when you know johnny comes back from the ketamine infusion you know uh, intervention uh, is like oh what was that like and and it's really mind-opening and it's insightful and they gained from it and they want to share in those experiences and then those without the mental health primary disorder you know the substance use side of things you know an opioid use disorder alcohol use disorder they turn around and say well i want to do that and that's where i think we're caught off guard by the historical nature of the industry it's like oh are we seeking something now and like no no no, we can't do that for this particular you know disorder or type and there's a sensitivity there that's arising and and we're getting better as a company about how to negotiate that how to navigate it actually how to you know get it in the right uh to the right individuals and you know question for the docs and you know even kevin and your experiences Uh, what is that like for you all uh, in consideration of the the suds of the world and what your experiences are around that um and just hopefully you can you know give some insight to the viewers out there that there's actually probably a lot of potential on that side of the coin um and then what what do we have to do to kind of get that right from a lens and remove kind of that historical fear that we've had as treatment centers
2: Look, I think that I would just maybe change the mindset of, oh, can I do that, right? To, oh, that's really interesting. Can I be evaluated for that, (laughs) right? Because I think everything, Mm, if you go back in medicine and and mental health, gets into a a really solid clinical evaluation, you know? So maybe they are um, good candidates. Maybe they're not. You know, I I don't know. I can't speak to that. It's not, you know, Dana might disagree. I I don't know. you know give it to everybody but, no, uh, I, think, but I think but but i, I, think, I, I, I honestly for you think on that. I mean, that i could see where that could that could dovetail into some craziness in the culture of addiction treatment and all of that but i do think we need to get away from it right i mean it might well be determined in the not too distant future that yeah you know ketamine infusions just lowers your chance of relapse with alcohol period whatever it is causing right and and that'll be a game changer you know so yeah.
4: I think it's really important to highlight that this is not a pleasurable experience for most mm-hmm. people. Okay. This is not when you bump a line of K in a rave. This is a very different experience. Okay. okay. This is in a in a in a journey space where you have, you know, and most providers, there's an altar, there's uh psychedelic art. It's very comfortable. It is not typically um the way that we like to promote it being being um, utilize is, is in a very therapeutic space with very intentional music you have a you have an eye mask on where you're creating this inward experience and then you give we give a medicine that causes a dissociative effect where you are it is not always amazing you are not always seeing Jesus in that room And I don't think that the majority of, I have a lot of clients who say you know, I really don't like this, but I know it's helping me. Like, I don't, lo- it's work. And we say that word a lot in uh-huh. psychedelics. This is work. You are doing work on yourself, right? This is not come in here, get high. Uh, let's see rainbows and you're going to feel better, right? This is, it brings the deep stuff up to the surface so you could work with it. That's exactly what it's doing. So this is not to an IV in our model. Right? We don't, IV and you're going to have this grand old time, right? Like we promote therapists being there or therapists being there afterwards to integrate those things that came up for you. I mean, it's a really important thing to highlight that this is not, you're getting, you're getting high
3: i think it's a critical thing I think to the because point. from from the cultural perspective i hear it from a lot of young people i should do ketamine treatment they think they're going to a rave i'm like look i don't know i don't give medical <laughs> advice you need to talk to the doctor just you know and scott you're exactly right you know sure be evaluated to see if you're a good candidate for this or for any um intervention for help you know i think that um it's there isn't one answer for all people we didn't all get sick in the same way we're not going to all get better in the same way and so i think it's important to find um the individual path that's going to resonate for any one person and help them what i think is that you know nixon hating hippies is a bad reason to not use psychedelic medicines which is pretty much how they were vilified in the '60s. Was Nixon hated counterculture, and you know, uh, it was going to lead to anarchy and draft dodging, you know, whatever they were saying, whatever the rhetoric is that they were putting in. And there are verifiable people from the Nixon administration saying, "Yeah, we knew we were lying. Yeah, we knew. You know, they cultivated these racist messages against certain medications." Uh, because they didn't like the culture around them, not because they weren't effective or couldn't help anybody. And that's really the thing that I think needs to shift is maybe it'll help you. Maybe it won't. I don't know, but you should certainly have the option to find out.
4: But can I just say, and I think this is still recording. Can I just say that I think that, you know, I'm very liberal with who I prescribe ketamine to, you don't have to come to me with treatment resistant depression. That is, that's total crap. Honestly, if yeah. I'm not going to make someone go and take multiple different medicines that have a 30% chance of working, and each time you add a medicine or change some change of psychiatric medicine, that person has a lower likelihood of responding. Yeah. Right? That's something that we all right. So, why are yeah. you going to ha- onboard someone who they're not accessing their stuff that they really need to work on? There's the slew of side effects, and most of these patients get stuck on these medicines for years and years and years of their life. No, no, we're not saying use ketamine every single day, or you need to have this for the rest of your life. We're saying have a psychedelic experience, do some deep work on yourself, and you're probably going to improve regardless of what diagnosis you walk in the door with.
2: Yeah. And you know, the other the other piece of that too, that we haven't spoken about today, but is, you know, in psychiatry, we have another epidemic going on that's part mm-hmm. and parcel with addiction, but it, it's suicide, <laughs> right? Youth suicide. Huh. I mean, the Riot. rates of suicide have gone up and in psychiatry, there's like a couple of medications that are proven to help with that. Not very well, mind you. And, you know, ketamine kind of got its start because people who were suicidal were getting better quickly. And that's a huge deal. So I think that needs to be talked about as well. <laughs> uh, might be for another podcast, <laughs> but but that's important. Yeah,
0: too. absolutely. It I... We all need to hang out more, uh, not just you and me, Joe, but I think collectively there's a lot of passion in this room and it reminds me of my own passion and what I'm energized about here on behalf of the industry uh, in that regard and uh, uh, I think we're at the the tail end of our hour here. Um, I love the passion, I love the insights, Um, I've loved getting to know you guys, uh, at least formally now um, from our informal emails of the past. but for the sake of time and for the viewers out there because we know from a psychiatric standpoint the kids on the the YouTubes and the Facebooks only watch things for three to nine seconds at a time so we've given them thousands of seconds of our time in that regard and uh to before taking this out uh as a show and as an episode uh you know Dr B I know you're in New York City and uh Dr Lerman you're in uh, Boulder Colorado and uh certainly Joe out in LA so I would just like for each of you to kind of go through how you can be found uh your website uh things you're willing to give out as far as contact information goes uh podcasts other projects you might be a part of uh and then i'll take it out from there but maybe we start with the dr b in that regard data
4: um you can find me at skylight psychedelics.com we're on instagram skylight psychedelics facebook linkedin um we're national so we're in every single state. So if you have a therapist and you're looking for, um, ketamine to be using with your therapist, we are more than happy to evaluate you for that.
2: Yep. Same for me. You can find me there as well. Skylight psychedelics.com and uh, all of our contact information is there.
0: Beautiful. Joe, what do you got?
3: What do
2: I got? I'm on all
3: the social media platforms, unless I've been, uh, some, uh sometimes I get kicked off for fighting with red state people. <laughs> That's happened more than once. Um, Denial Ends is my website and that has all my writings and services and so on and so forth. And I'm happy to talk to anybody. I'm a very um, I'm really into economic justice. So if you're a single mother and you have no money, don't let that stop you from calling me. Um, If you're a New York City model with a lot of money, be prepared for a big bill so that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of how i work uh,
0: beautiful man joe you're so you're so colorful and you in your passion i love it man i can't wait to do this coffee with you in the background um but in that regard i'm going to take it out here at uh finding peaks again chief executive officer brandon burns with peaks recovery centers inviting all of these uh, incredible guests uh professionals onto this platform to uh help open the hearts and the minds of the viewers out there around proposition 122 here in the state of Colorado and the innovation possibilities uh that exist within this framework and then hopefully at some point uh it's given nationally uh you can find us on all the TikToks, uh the Facebooks the Twitters those types of things out there uh like us follow us uh communicate it with us through those platforms we much appreciate it Uh, as a following finding peaks at peaksrecovery.com thoughts insights ideas about this particular podcast questions for you know our guests as well too we can get back to them Uh, but you direct these episodes at the end of the day and appreciate you reaching out to us and with that uh, we're all said and done here until next time thanks for viewing everybody